We are looking to answer the ultimate questions of why, how, and how we, by meeting with students and younger fo folks, and asking them to think about and answer what drives youth to engage with civil society. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversations that we have had. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blom and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. This is a special episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, in which uh, I had a conversation around table discussion with students from a university in the Philippines, and they will introduce themselves. Hi, hi, I'm Gabby Bernardo. Um, I'm a graduating political science student, but I'm also taking up my master's in public management as of the moment. I've been um, helping out in different courses for the longest time I've remembered, because Basically, yeah, I've been in different organizations, maybe for, I think, since high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, oh, it's a different education system here. So maybe it's called junior high school. That's, that's seventh grade, the middle school, I think, there in the States. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically, I just really been wanting to go do something for everyone, wherever I can. Yeah, basically Great. who I am. Nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. TJ? Okay, I think I can go next. Hi, Maurice. Hi, everyone. I'm TJ Alcantara. Um, same with Gabby. I'm uh, an incoming graduate of political science. Actually, our graduation is this Friday. Um, but I'm also taking up um, a master's in public management. So in the coming year, um, I plan to finish that master's while also start working, probably in government. So most likely in policy or development work. Um, my most recent involvement, as I, I as I think Sir Jail mentioned, is uh, I am the immediate past president of our student council here in the Ateneo de Manila. Um, but even in high school and um elementary, I was also active in uh in our student councils and uh student organizations. Um, which handle or which advocate for so many things um, from quality education, from social political awareness, from um, um, even mental health, gender equality, and other um, advocacies. Thank you. Um, Green? Hey, thank you, TJ. Hi, Morris. Good evening from the Philippines. I am Franklin Duane Madrinian, and I can be called Duane. And I'm and I'm graduating from a degree with a degree in development studies from the Ateneo de Manila University with specializations in development management and development and the law. My previous engagement was I served as the president of the Development Society of the Ateneo, which focused more on how to integrate the 
discourse of development in every sector, in every discourse that there is here in Philippine sectors. Um, my first engagement, I believe, or the first official engagement that I had was as student council back in my junior high school. Nice meeting you, everyone. Great. And and I uh, always, when I meet uh, people like you, I feel embarrassed because I was such a lazy student and I, you know, I meet with all these folks that are so active. The first question that I have for you, what drives you in life? What makes it, you know, uh, when you, okay, this is, I need to get out of bed because, so who would like to start? What makes you tick? The title of this round table. What drives you? Who would like to start? Perhaps I can start for this conversation. Um, one of the things that I've learned in development studies is that there are narratives worth sharing and there are realities worth confronting that are beyond our immediate spaces. And to think that I am living in this world together with other communities that are marginalized, vulnerable, keeps me going. Because I know, especially here in the Philippines, if you're studying in the Ateneo, you're already at the platform where you have a better grasp of society simply because of the education that you are receiving. That's one of the things that make me think. Just the realization that I am living with, with these kinds of people and knowing that our realities are interconnected, yet what we are experiencing are totally different. That that would be for my end ones. Thanks, Wayne. So I think what drives me in life personally, um, it's an awareness of where I am right now. Um, I am also a financial aid scholar in the Ateneo. Um, so it means I am I come from a not so privileged background. My family um for the longest time has been trying to to provide for our needs, but um we are honestly very much struggling financially. So that awareness, I think. Um, drives me to continue achieving my dreams. Um, it leads me to working for a more just, a more inclusive, a more sustainable future. And so once I realize or once I am more aware of where I am coming from, I also compare it to what kind of world, what I what kind of world, what kind of society I want to live in. And so it drives me to not simply think about my own situation or my own experiences, but also the experiences of other people. As Dwayne mentioned earlier, um, being a student in the Ateneo, it's already a privilege um, for me to be given this education and formation. It's already so much. And now... Um, I actually understand more the opportunity, the the blessings that, that um has been given to me, and I also see the responsibility that I now have to not only improve my own life, but rather also help uplift other communities, especially the marginalized, um, especially those that have been long. Um, long neglected by both the government or um, other people in power and influence. Yeah, thanks, uh, DJ, for sharing that. Yeah. 
personally for me, it's the knowledge that you can do something today. That, you know, with every new day that comes, you're able to do something. I think in the world that we have today, we're in a VUCA world. There's so many things that you can do. And that I think a mantra that I have been always telling myself, like you can do anything, is that you're, oh no, my internet. Yeah, see, my internet is also scaling me. So it means you also have to be able to do a lot of things to change the things that you are receiving. So I think it's also just a challenge knowing that the things that you can do, you can start doing them today. It's with the knowledge that there are so many aspects, so many lives that you can change or just like with one simple action. Like for you going out, maybe meeting a friend or just showing a call, just gives me so much passion to know that, you know, I may be a small dot in this entire world, but at the very least, I can use that small dot to make a difference with other people. That's what fuels me because I know that with every day, there's always hope and that there's always something that I can do for the future. Great. No, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Gabby. Yeah, so, so okay, that's the three of you. And, and you know, uh, Jail Professor, he became professor at the beginning of June. Um, mentioned you know i give you my top students um so that is your answer um what makes your fellow students tick i think an easy answer to that is when things become more personal to them already i think that a lot i think that a lot of the things that the youth especially here in the philippines um engage with is when it already affects their personal lives or when people close to them encourage them to rally rally together for the causes that are personal to another person. Say, for example, for indigenous peoples, it matters to maybe a few of us here in the Ateneo. But when we were the ones to encourage others to rally with us, to, take, to rally change with us, they take up space for that sector. Same with education, same with the workers sector in the Philippines. So I think when it comes more personal to them, that would make them pick. I think I think that would be an easy answer to that question. But again, there's a lot more nuance that can be unpacked that TJ or Gabby can um elaborate. Well one quick question, although you know it might not be a, a quick answer. What what about outside of the university? You know, the younger population outside of your uh, university community? I think that's, well, it can be said easier. That's one of the difficult questions to answer, I think. Because while we were speaking earlier, I wrote down here, the greater question is, how do we engage the youth that are outside formal structures? And I, I, I think it can still be what is personal to them. Um, if it, maybe it's the history of their family can be a factor to that, the realities that they are confronting, Perhaps if they are a commuter, they'd speak more about demanding for better public spaces and be better public transportation. So I think it's also more of um, what they experience in the on a day-to-day -day basis that makes them tick. Gabby, what do you think? I agree with Jane. I think um, how what I've been observing is that a lot of people take up spaces, especially when these things really are personal. It really depends on their context, where they're coming from, like what have they experienced. But I think it's also on a level 
that understanding how these things affect us. Um, you know, outside of the form of structures, it's kind of hard to like, you know, talk about highfalutin things, especially since these things don't really affect you directly, right? But I think what I've learned throughout my entire stay in school and, you know, just my immersion with different sectors is that you really have to meet people where they are. Like, you have to be able to showcase to them your narrative and also see how their narrative also coincides with yours and whatever it's almost happening outside. And I think that's how we're also engaging with them, trying to find that um, intersection for all of these narratives and how you see that what's happening to them also happens to other people and they aren't as mutually exclusive to one another. Okay, thanks. TJ? Um, I'd like to um, second what Dwayne and Gabby mentioned. For example, in our university, we have queer students who are part of our so-called Commission on Gender Equality. Um, I'm also a scholar, so I'm part of an organization that focuses on quality education. So the first aspect is really the personal um, connection of these organizations or advocacies to our own lives. But at the same time, I think it's also based on encounter. A lot of us encounter um, people in our lives We've been sent to different communities. Some of us, um, when we go to our to the cities, we meet street vendors or we meet um our jeepney drivers. So we get to also see their situation, and sometimes when we see those situations, we simply um empathize with them and feel like their cause their struggles are also the struggles that we want to personally fight for or fight with them for uh fight with them um so it's also an emphasis on journeying with others and not simply thinking that it is us who should fight for them but it is us um empathizing with them standing in solidarity with them so i think that's also an important nuance to it Thanks, TJ. Um, what I forgot to ask you is, um, you study in Manila, right? That's where your university is. Are you all yes. originally from Manila as well? No, I am. Um, I'm personally from a province south of Manila. I'm from Batangas. Okay. So usually it takes us around two hours um, to travel from Manila to Batangas or vice versa so how different is it you know from growing up and living in in the, your original province to manila now um it's it's there are similarities but i also felt the difference not only in the infrastructure or um in the level of development but even in the culture, um, for us in the province, I think um, not only are some of our infrastructures less developed compared to Manila, but even the people in our provinces are not as exposed um, 
to other issues here in Manila. So there are also some cultural gaps. But um, in terms of language, um, Batangas is also um, speaking a lot of Filipino. So I think that's something easier for us. Um, I think that's mostly what I've um, have noticed. Comparing both uh mm-hmm. both places. Okay, thanks. Duane and, and, and Gabby, are you, you are from Manila originally, or yes? Yes, I'm from Manila. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I like to go, to go back because you know you you um you decided to study, you know, and and some are going now for your masters, um. Was there a moment in your life when you thought, I need to study this because I want to work in this sector? Um, or were you stimulated by your parents, caretakers, or by others? How did you get on this journey? Gabby, can you start? Personally, I started on my journey when I understood the concept of what a scholarship is. I got that when I was in seventh grade, when I entered um, my high school. I think it was a mix of everything, like from the influence of my parents to growing up in that public high school. Um, the public high school is really kind of different here from there in state. Um, but I went there in scholarship because in a sense, it was, um, it was a specialized high school here. It, it's more focused on the science and math. Um, so it's also technically a scholarship. Um, we were called like a scholar ng bayan, like the scholars of the nation, because the taxpayers pay for our education. But when I understood that concept and the realization that I'm just part of like a one percent of the Philippine um population where is able to go to get this kind of education, I realized why. Why is that um, percentage so small? And I just realized I want to be able to do something for that. I don't want it for, I don't want to hear more stories of people having to flock to go to these schools, like for example, to go to Ateneo, because they want to be able to get a quality education. I want to have a world society wherein you can get quality education, even if you just go out of your house, but go to the nearest school in your village or in the province. And that's why I was thinking, so what do I do best? Where do, what track do I want to do? Um, it's like, what path am I going to go on? I think that's why how it, it technically also lead me on to political science. It's like really understanding um, what, what um, government work is, how we can change the structures and institutions here. And that's why, you know, I've been engaging also with these kinds of organizations, figuring out what else can I do? And so that was that's my track and how I figured out that, you know, I want to be able to do something. It may not be that much, but somehow I know it'll try to change something. Okay. That way. On my end, I was supposed to study architecture in a different school. But during high school, one professor told me that, yes, you have a gift for thinking about structures and drawing stuff. Mm -hmm. But have you ever realized that you have a gift when it comes to speaking? 
and engaging communities into the things that you talk about. And that's when I considered studying up law. Honestly, development studies was an uncertain course for me simply because it's not one of the more popular courses here in the Philippines. Mm. But during freshman year, I just embraced the uncertainty. And throughout my stay, um, I discovered that when people believe in me, I take that and make my and make myself believe in me more. So during third year, when we were able to engage with um, indigenous peoples from Mindanao, the uh, southernmost part of the Philippines, I realized that my dream of taking up law is not something personal to me, but really more of standing up for these communities that need more voice and representation, um, especially in the government here in the Philippines. Well, they are, well, they may be a um, huge in number, their voices remain to be one of the least represented and least listened to here in Philippine legislation. So I guess it's a series of um, coming to know myself better by people um, ingraining knowledge and their trust in me throughout that process. I guess that's what um, brought me in this journey. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, TJ, I, I saw, saw you nodding. <clears throat> the listeners of the podcast don't see that. So, so uh, yeah, this is something that you relate with as well? Um, yes. But I think um, in my case, I am fortunate at least to have studied in a Catholic um, college back in high school and elementary. And so in our school back then, we were already engaged um, in other issues, such as the environment. So at one point, us students are already being encouraged to use our voices to um, talk about these issues. But at the same time, a lot of opportunities open up in, in high school. I was part of our school paper. Our um, I was also a campus journalist back then. And so it also really forces you to understand the situation beyond your school, um, even beyond your local community, but all over the country and the world. So that's one thing that really exposed me to the issues that affect our lives. And then when I was given a scholarship here in Ateneo, I decided to also study political science. Um, one reason is I also wanted to be a lawyer initially, and I saw having the knowledge and competency of the law um, a useful tool in terms of development, in terms of um, fixing the social structures and institutions that are, are flawed in our country. But right now, I'm... Not yet sure if I'll be continuing with my legal studies, but with the knowledge and um, skills that I've picked up from political science and now that I'm taking up my master's in public management, I'm more focused on 
um, pursuing work in the development field or in public policy because I understand that a lot of our issues, a lot of the needs of our communities are also dependent and are also connected to what the government um, does in both local government or the national government. And so being involved in development and policy work um, gives me an opportunity to ensure that what the government is implementing or conceptualizing at first um, is able to address those needs and those other concerns. So, um, in the regular episodes um, of, of, of my podcast, Walk, Talk, Listen, I ask questions uh, I ask a question to to my guest about what worries you, you know, and that's there's a wide range of of answers there. But when I ask where do you still see hope, the majority of my guests always say the youth, the younger generation. Um. So, are you indeed your you know the hope? How do you look at this? What do you think about that answer? I think first that's very flattering, honestly, um, because you know at least people still believe in us. People believe in us and our capacity capacities change. But also, that's kind of pressuring in a sense, because you know, I mean, it's pressuring in a, in a good way, in a good way for me, because you know that you have so much capability and capacity to change the world that people are looking for you. Um, looking out what you guys will do, like what the youth will do in the coming years. But I think it's also, you know, the challenge for us, like what kind of change do we want to create? And I agree that, you know, um, the youth really is the hope because we're really trying to unlearn a lot of things, you know. Um, you could see the differences between the, the generations and what change we're trying to achieve here. And what kind of world we're trying to build. You know, we're more open, more um, receptive to towards the change. And I think it's very unique and very exciting also because, you know, society right now isn't what we're used to before. And it's really ever-changing. So I'm really flattered, but also pressured. But it's something that I'm really excited to see because, you know, what we thought was canon before, what we thought was usual, what we thought was normal, is somehow being changed. And it's okay because we're realizing that what was the status quo before sometimes doesn't anymore apply to what's needed right now. That sometimes we have to reimagine, rethink what we're doing and what we have to do for the future. So it's really great. And I'm really excited what we're going to do for the future. And and where do you see yourself still hope? I see myself um, with the hope, honestly, with the people that I'm with. Like, actually, I've been friends with TJ and Dwayne already for quite a time right now. And I see hope because of people like them. I see hope whenever I go out in the streets, when I talk to students. Um, I see hope whenever I go talk with my students um, when, I talk, when I teach math and English. And I see hope in the faces of everyone like just around me who may not be, you know, these known personalities, but are also making their stand um, 
making their own ripples of change in their different um, sectors. You know, Maurice, it's funny that you mentioned that because our national hero in the Philippines, Dr. Jose Rizal, um, once said, or there's a quote attributed to him. Um, he said, ang, ang kabataan ay ang pag-asa ng bayan. So it translates into the youth is the future of the nation. Um, and that line has often been repeated from time and time to further empower the youth or to help them recognize their collective role and potential in shaping the nation in um, being part of the change that we want to see in our society. But I also noticed that even though that's the case, sometimes the voice of the youth is ignored or neglected. Some of the more senior <laughs> um, adults um, tend to belittle the youth, tend to tell them that um, you still don't understand these issues. Just study first, um, you'll, you'll get your time, and um, you don't have a right to participate in, in these issues. No. But our history has also showed that from, from the past, the youth has tried to push back a lot of movements um, in our long history has been led by the youth. For example, during the martial law era, a lot of student activists um, led the resistance um, to protest and to also fight against the injustices of the Marcos dictatorship in the Philippines. And even now, um, looking at our student organizations, a lot of them are really focused on um, helping the different sectors in our society. A lot of them are really passionate about um, the issues that sometimes affect them personally, but even other issues that may not necessarily be, be part of their identity. So it's really um, something worth noting. But I think rather than saying that the youth is the future of the nation or that the youth is the hope of the nation, I think it's also important that we emphasize now that the youth is the present of the nation. The youth plays a role even in the present because sometimes our um, our roles are being pushed further to the future, mm. that it is our future that we have to think about. But we have to also understand that we can't reach that future without us focusing on the present. And I think a lot of um, youth leaders, a lot of youth movements, if given more chances, more opportunities, more support, even now, will be able to impact what kind of future we are to really shape or what kind of future we are to live in. 
And so are, are you involved in any justice or humanitarian work at the moment? Or have you been? And, and that's the, you know, to, the, to the three of you. Um, one of my most recent involvements, apart from the student council or student organizations, is within uh, my province. My province um, in Batangas. Um, um, a part of my province is the so-called Verde Island Passage. So it's a body of water that has been considered by... Um, as the world's as the center of the center of marine shorefish biodiversity in the world. So um a lot of species of um fishes, even turtles, um, and other marine wildlife um is endemic in that area. But recently, um fossil gas companies, a lot of energy companies are trying to invest in Batangas. So that would mean a lot of fossil gas power plants, even gas terminals that would receive um, this liquefied natural gas from cargo ships and containers will be going to our shores. So that would mean it will pose a risk to um, not only the marine wildlife, but even to the fisherfolk communities in our area. So I'm currently part of a campaign to stop um, uh, the expansion of fossil gas mm-hmm. and um, increase awareness on the importance of Verde Island Passage. But it's not only about environmental protection. Um, another area that we're working on is climate justice because mm-hmm. fossil gas has always been touted as a transition fuel. Or like um, before we reach renewables or clean energy, we have to first go through fossil gas because it's the cheaper alternative at this moment. But um, for us in our campaign, we are heavily against that kind of notion because when we compare the price as well as the timeline between fossil gas and renewable energy, we see that it usually takes a lot of time for both of them. So rather than invest in transition fuels, it's better to invest in renewable energy now, which is, of course, a a climate justice issue as well. Okay. I mean, the topic that you just touched upon, we could do a totally extra podcast about, right? Um, uh, Duane, yeah, what about you in terms of justice or humanitarian work? And if you want to make a comment about the hope question, you know, go ahead as well. But uh... Yeah, uh, the closest that I can share about work related to justice and mm-hmm. humanitarian action would be on the indigenous peoples with the Dumagat Remontados for their claim of their land um, back in Quezon because there is an unjust construction of the Kaliwa Dam that is supposed or is quoted to be of service um, to the people in Manila because of the shortage in water. But it but it forgets about the communities that there that there is in the um in the mountains there in Quezon. But to comment on the on the comment regarding the youth as the hope of the future. I think while it is, yeah, it is a flattering for the youth to receive such um, commendations from the adults or the older generation, I think there is merit for these set of people to remember and 
to realize that this is not the passing of the baton, but this is about a shared responsibility of moving forward together. Um, while they see us as their hope for the things that may they may have forgotten or do not have the time to work already, I think in the meantime, it should be a sort of mentorship with one another that this is our world and this is not your future alone. This is a future that we you are inheriting from us. So it should be, there should be a recognition that there is a shared responsibility along the lines of seeing us as a whole. Uh, that's my take on that. You know, I th this roundtable we will um, make into a podcast as well, and it will be part of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And that particular podcast is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started in 2012, where I try to walk 100 miles in a week, 15, you know, five to seven days, so 15 to 20 miles a day. Um, and um, so I, I'm walking to, in, uh, to raise awareness and funds uh, to end hunger, poverty, and injustice. If if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week, five, five to seven days, for which cause would you do that? And yes, I'm looking for to hand over the baton to the young next generation. So, <laughs> I think I can start this one off because funny enough, um, the project that Dwayne was mentioning a while ago for Indigenous people. It's actually called Alay Lakad, or in English, um, sorry, offer, sorry, it's retranslation, offering, offering walk. Um, basically, it was a walk to offer, um, like, to protest the construction of the said um dam that's being used for Manila. I think two things, three things actually, personally for me, that I've been willing, I'd be willing to walk a hundred miles a week is one indigenous people's right. I've actually done it. Um, PJ was with me. We actually did walk how many miles for that. And it was a very, very um, humbling experience that, you know, it's very eye-opening to a lot of things. Second, quality education. I really believe that, you know, every student should have um, the privilege, um, not privilege, the right, sorry, the right to receive the same quality education that I did, you know, that, they, that no more child would have to say nothing that I was not able to study. I was not able to reach my dreams because of education. And education is privilege. And last, um, human rights in general, in a sense that, you know, equality for LGBTQI and women. I don't know, in the Philippines, we're a predominantly Catholic country. And a lot of things have been conservative here. You know, people have been restricted to express themselves. Even for the traditional gender, which is a woman, you know, very limited, very limiting for a lot of things, work, um, going out in the streets, safety, all of these things are always based on what your gender is. So, you know, it's been quite difficult to live in that kind of situation. But for these things, I would always walk, I would walk 100 miles, a 1000 or how many miles more, that could just make a difference for these things. Yeah, per perhaps on my end, I'd walk a thousand miles or even more for good governance here in the Philippines. 
Oh, well, good governance is such a vague and broad term, but for a country that has been ridden with corruption and injustice in the government itself, I think that would be a worthy cause to uh, to walk towards to. But if actually given the chance to walk literally a thousand miles, um, I don't want to walk it by myself, but I'd rather take up a narrative of another person and walk with them together. Because I think that's more fruitful and that's more life-giving, at least for me. Because I can walk wherever I want, however I want. But for people who are marginalized, vulnerable, these are people that you need to walk with. Because that's a different story. With, uh, regardless of the cause, regardless of where they want to be at, the the moment that someone is there willing to walk with them, I think that's another fiat to be celebrated. For me, Maurice, um, first, my apologies. I'm not really good with distances, so I don't really <laughs> know how far or how long it will take me to walk 100 miles or more. Mm-hmm. But I think if given the chance to be able to to walk, um, I imagine for a very long distance. Um, I would also like to stay in those areas from uh, for a longer time. I think um, more than we more than us walking um, with people, it might also be good to enter into those communities and try to encounter them talk to them, understand um, their own narratives, and so be able to really put a face in the in the stories and the advocacies that we are fighting for. Um, I, I think um, us walking itself is already symbolic. As, Gab- as Gabby mentioned, um, we also walked with um, indigenous peoples from um, their province in Quezon up to the um, Manila. To be specific, they plan to walk towards the Malacanang Palace, which is the, um, the, the president's official residence and office. So me being able to participate in that walk was very life-giving even though you feel tired at the end of the of the travel because you feel like you are standing in solidarity with them um but an important note though is when they walked from Quezon and when they arrived in Manila they actually had a stop over in our university in the Ateneo so we welcomed them we talked to them um we provided them accommodation and it's an important um part of the journey more than the walking because during the stopover they were able to share their own stories they were able to provide us with their own accounts and experiences and so i think without that stopover us joining the walk is still an important and symbolic act but it will be less valuable for us because we weren't able to hear the stories themselves. And so, again, if 
I'll be given the opportunity to walk. I would appreciate a little bit of stopover, maybe eat and <laughs> and meet more people along the way. Okay, thanks, DJ. And and just for for a little bit of clarification and and uh, reminding the the listeners that that um, you know when I do that hundred mile walk, I'm very often accompanied by others. And I visit, uh, I try to visit in the morning before I start walking a food bank or a local shelter. And then, in you know, when I'm done for the day, then I meet with the community as well to discuss about uh, local hunger uh, and global hunger, you know, to make connections between communities and perspectives. So, you know, one, one thing that very often comes up is when I walk and I walk with, I'm accompanied with that other person, it's it's a kind you know walking is a kind of a spiritual experience you know you think you start thinking about we talked in the beginning you know what drives you in life you you start thinking about it why are we on earth um and then very often we talk about you know what do you see happening with the youth and religion and youth and spirituality so i have a question to you about this well, what do you see in your community in terms of youth and religion and our spirituality, uh, spirituality. You know, some people are saying, um, especially in the U.S. And, and in the West, Western countries, the youth is less uh, religious. They might be spiritual, but you know, church is not appealing anymore to them. So, I would like to have your opinion, your observation in your community around that. And what does um, and and does religion and spirituality play a role um, in your desire to make this world a bit better? So uh, two two parts to this question. What do you see? And then, you know, what does it mean for yourself? You guys are so polite, waiting for each other. So, okay. <laughs> Duane, why don't you start? I think for the case here in the Philippines, well, I agree that there is a declining participation of the youth um, when it comes to participation in religious activities. I think the reason why there is a decline in those kinds of activities is because they see a disconnect with what is taught in church or in their religious um, communities with the realities that these churches stand for. So, for example, um, uh, the extrajudicial killings here in the Philippines. Well, it was rampant in the Philippines. People were waiting for the church to stand up and to speak up to what was happening or on what was the situation here in the country. So that disconnect between what the church was doing with the actual realities here in the country um, more or less discouraged the youth to participate in such um, activities. And they thought of looking for other avenues where there is no disconnect with their principles and what they want to live out um, in their day-to-day -day lives. So I think, um, well, there is that. The youth translate their participation to something else that doesn't necessarily, um, uh, doesn't necessarily subscribe to a specific um, denomination or religion, but actually live out what is intended of these religions and religious activities. DJ? Yes. Well, um, perhaps for us in the province, in Batangas, 
um, our city actually is a site of devotion for the Santa Nino or the child, Je- the child Jesus. But um, what I noticed there is that the youth often participate in religious activities only to a certain extent. Or if they're participating in religious activities, it's mostly them serving in the church, um, being an altar server, um, joining processions, or those kinds of of activities. And there's nothing wrong with joining those activities. But what I think, however, is that sometimes there's also a disconnect between religion or the church and actual social issues that matter to all of us, that affect us. And so coming from a political science perspective, but at the same time, a member of the Atenea Student Catholic Action, we actually believe in this so-called um uh saying that um a faith that does justice so we see our faith our religion as inherently political and i think that's also what is lacking in some of our churches some of our religions in the philippines um as dwayne mentioned there are some churches or even some priests that were not able to immediately voice out their strong objections in the extrajudicial killings happening in our country. And I think it's important that if we engage with the youth or if we empower the youth, it's important to give them already a sense of what is happening in reality. And the church has that power. The church has that influence at some point. Um, our My personal thesis during college um, focused on the effect or the influence of the Catholic Church in the voting preferences or the voting behavior of the Catholic youth. And we really see that the church still has a voice in the Philippines, considering that the Catholic Church is um, the dominant, religion in the in the country so going back again to that notion of faith that does justice i think if we are able to have some kind of maturity in terms of faith that our faith does not simply call us to participate in church or in sacraments but rather to be more active and engaged in 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 dealing with social issues that really shows some that would really be a good thing, no? Um, especially that the church themselves, uh, the church teaches us to love, the church teaches us to stand against injustices. Even Jesus um, fought a lot of corruption during his time. And so if we are able to translate that into um, the issues that we are currently facing, I think the youth can really be encouraged and can really be shaped to be the leaders in in the kind of of, of movement. Gabby, when you hear TJ, what is your reaction to to his uh, you know explanation? Okay, sorry, internet lagged. Okay, um, I think there's some historical. Um, analysis also because when you talk about religion and you know here in the Philippines and for the longest time we've been a Catholic country and so 
the understanding of Catholicism here is to an extent conservative also. But our understanding, because we were given the privilege to study in a Jesuit school, who to an extent is considered more liberal in the in the spectrum of Catholicism, it really changes your perspective. And I agree with the both of them to understand that, you know, you understand that what you're being taught in church isn't literal that, you know, oh, if they say an eye for an eye in the Bible, you literally take the eye of another person. No, it's not. That you have to have that um, deeper understanding of what we're really being called to do. Uh, when you say you love your neighbor, um, you are willing to be there for them. You're willing to share their struggles with them, even if you have your own struggles. I think that's how we're trying to resolve also with the youth that, you know, a lot of us grew up with the environment we're in. These teachings, these um, understandings of, of faith, we're all forced to know. And so now that we're also discovering um, who we are about ourselves, um, who we are, we're figuring out, oh, wait, what I was thought of going up isn't actually what I'm supposed to do or what I'm really called to do. And I think that's also to an extent a privilege. And, you know, we're trying to bridge that gap for people to better understand what it is that the church, what faith is actually calling us to do, that it isn't just telling you to blindly follow it. Like, you know, if the Bible tells you to do this, you do that. No, it's actually also telling you to question things and see how you apply that to your life. And, you know, when you're able to make that, in that narrative for people to really better understand that you're not being called to be conservative, you're not being called to like always do charity work, you're not always called to, you know, um, give up everything but you're called to also act on your own vocation. That when you realize that, oh, these two things aren't as disconnected as we think that they are. So yeah, I think that's something that we're trying to also do here um, with our education, bridging the misunderstandings that we had growing up and how we can apply that to our context today. So if I ask the three of you uh, to label yourself, you know, are you religious? Are you, are you spiritual or are you something else? Maybe an interesting way to frame that question. How do we qualify religious in that, in that sense? No, that's what I'd like to figure out from you. You know, what comes up when you hear that word, so... Uh, for me, I'd like to say that I am religious, but in comparison to how devout Catholics would dub them as religious, I am not that devout as a Catholic. But for me, I am religious because I live up to the teachings of the church and I do justice where justice is um, due. I personally identify as a Catholic, but like Duane, I'm not, I'm not one of those who are really active or devout in terms of um, participating in sacramental in the sacraments or um, reading the scriptures. I don't think that it's my personal expression of faith. So um, I practice my religion mostly through my work, through um, 
my advocacy is because as I've mentioned earlier, I believe that our faith is a faith that does justice. So it is mostly uh, or it's heavily emphasized by our actions, by how we stand up against injustices and also stand in solidarity with the marginalized. But at the same time, I also see myself as a spiritual person because I maintain or I do try and nurture that personal relationship with my God. So beyond the confines of the church or of um of those activities, I go back to the center of my faith. I reflect upon my experiences and talk to him mm-hmm. <laughs> and and think about how am I living my life and if it's what if it's aligned or consistent to what I feel is him leading to. Mm-hmm. I'm personally religious. Um, I struggled also to an extent before. There was a time in my life I was struggling with my own faith. But I, I'm religious. I also am Catholic. Um, not a very devout um, one considered as likely considered as the cure in like in the Philippines. But same as both of them, I find my faith in what I do and what I practice. Um, it's knowing that what I do is for his greater glory. And it's also the understanding that everything is happening in my life is safe. Like, you know, that sometimes you don't understand what's happening, but somehow down the road, you'll, you'll find out that these things really happen for a reason, that it is safe. That you are really being led towards a path where and you are called um to do something greater, that you are being brought down the road where and you can do so much more kindness and where you can spread more love. And I think that's the most important thing is that you really answer that call to love and to give love to more people. Um, you know, I, I if I listen um, correctly, you I've heard the uh, the word connect a lot. You know, connecting youth to the rest of the population, connecting to religion, you know, it's communities. Um, I I think, uh, you know, a word that I uh, heard is interconnectedness um, and really during COVID because pe- people said, oh, you know, we need to work together because we're all interconnected. We can only solve this together. I think we only did that for two weeks um, because as soon as, you know, certain populations had access to the vaccine, then they were, they were not interested in, in the other communities. Um, but the question that I have for you is... Um, if you think about connection and interconnectedness, can you come up with some positive examples of this connection and some negative examples of connection? Um, if I can go first, Maurice, I think one example that I can think of, which is something positive in 
our country is during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a volunteer who started this so-called community pantries. Hmm. So basically, they set up um a pantry where they first um put grocery items and food. And then people, part of those communities, could either give or also take hmm. um supplies and groceries. And then it spread like wildfire um, across our country. So it's a lot of volunteerism on their part. I think it's something that connected people because when you're going to those pantries and getting these supplies, you're not there just to simply take them, but sometimes you're able to engage in conversation um, with the organizers or with those people in line with you. But at the same time, you're able to connect with them because you're also bringing your own offerings or you're bringing your own goods that you are proud or you are happy to share with others. So there's that kind of connection that is being built. But a negative connotation there, or a negative incident that happened though is our government itself was the one who tried to suppress it. Our government red-tagged those community pantries. Mm. So when I say red-tagged, they, um, they said that these, pa- these pantries are, um, are sponsored or are created by communist or red groups mm. in our country and they're doing that to solicit support or or so um and so at some point it also hindered the growth of community pantries across the country because there was fear but in truth if you would look at them these community pantries are also responding to the needs that are neglected or the needs that the government failed to address and when the government um intervened they intervened not by doing their jobs better, but by trying to disconnect the people, by trying to divide them and instill in them some fear that this is something bad or that you have to not participate in this connection. So um, that's one example that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Me, I think one positive connection, actually on the onset of the pandemic, we saw the rise of a lot of different youth organizations here actually in the Philippines. Like, you know, a lot of public friends made different organizations because they wanted to, you know, help out. Um, I've been working with a lot of them actually because one of my organizations has been helping develop um, organization development for the youth. And it was just really humbling to see that, you know, the youth here are really excited and passionate to be able to do something that, you know, when we were all caged in our houses, we were all in lockdown, they said, no, I still want to do something. We have to be able to do something. And it was very interesting how their response was to really create these youth organizations that were really specialized in different sectors. And you could really see um, the wide ranges. Um, there are people who focused on helping teachers, helped on with workers, 
who helped out with people in far flung areas, like really providing um food, um medical supplies and whatnot. So it was really very it was such a vibrant time for youth organization for us. But I guess what was the downside to an extent was that a lot of people also didn't see fruition into it. Um, what do I mean by this? Afterwards, like, you know, it wasn't any more as sustainable as they thought it would be. Like when gates started opening again for everyone to go out, somehow these youth organizations were not able to sustain themselves. They were not able anymore to find ways on how they could continue their operations. It was kind of um, disheartening since a lot of, not a lot, all of them had different um, unique propositions and how they really wanted to create change. So I just, it was just really disheartening for them to be able not to continue operations. But nevertheless, I think that um, instance in the last um, few years was able to teach me and showcase to me that, you know, when you really give give the youth um, the opportunity, that medium to create change, they will take it that they will create their own ripples of change. They'll create their own pockets of resistance, resistance for them to, you know, really create that spark that we want for people to be more uh, given hope that you can create something, that you don't actually have to go out of your house to be able to do something. That in the comfort of your home, you can just create, pull some contacts, connect with people and say, what else can we do? Yeah. Uh, from my end, when I when I talk about connection, I'd like to unpack it in a sense that mm -hmm. connection, the underscore in connection is really relationships. And when we talk about relationships, there are power dynamics in there. Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk about these dynamics of power, a positive input to that is how do we play out the relationships that we have with various peoples? And one example that I can think of is one of the previous presidents here in the Philippines. Um, a positive use of having that connection and influence is populating the government with people who are well acquainted with their field, knows how to do the knows how to do the job, and has merit to be there in the position. And then a negative example to it is the recent or the current administration of the country, where we just use our connection to populate our government with people who we just know based on their name based on their influence of whatnot, but not actually the merit of the work that they are doing. Um, in the Philippines, they've coined the term of this as cronyism, populating the government with just your friends, but not actually knowing if they are capable of doing the job. So I think um, that's one distinct example here in the Philippines about the positive and negative example of using these connections. Although I am not telling that one president is better than the other, uh, for they have um, a fair share of their lapses when it comes to administering this country. Um, nonetheless, when we use our connections, we use our uh, our power to 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 work around our relationships. This can bore fruit for not just ourselves, but also the nation that we try to serve. Um. Yeah, if I would ask you to come up with advice for my organization or any organization that would like to connect or reconnect with the younger generation, what would that advice be? I think this might be a cliche answer, but 
our organizations can really capitalize on social media. Um, a lot of youth um, around the world um, use social media. I mean, in the Philippines alone, the youth, I think, um, is part of the, 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 the big population of users of social media sites. No. So I think if we are to engage and connect with the youth better, we have to speak their language or we have to utilize the platforms that they are also utilizing. And social media is an important platform nowadays. So if our organizations, let's say, are advocating for issues that um, are about um, injustices or um, about quality education, about human rights, it's important that we are able to translate these advocacies into normal, everyday topics, everyday conversations that can spark some interest in the youth. I think sometimes when our organizations are very much intellectual or they feel like they are more of the expert in these fields, we're not able to meet the youth where they are. There's that divide. It feels like our organizations are on top and the youth are down there that needs enlightenment or needs awareness. But sometimes there are also members of the youth that only need some some walking with some sometimes you just have to really spark their interest um in the in these issues because one way or another they're already living these advocacies for example if they are public school students mm-hmm. and they um have experience um the poor state of our education so when you engage with them in the advocacy of quality education, you are also tapping to their own lived experiences. You're able to spark interest in what, in the things or the advocacies that are really, are really experienced by by these students, for example. Or if our or if the organization would like to focus on um providing or, or, or advocating gender equality, mm-hmm. we can of course reach out to those members of the LGBT community because it's also their lived realities, it's also their identities that are being um being talked about or being focused on. So those are some of the things that I think um, an organization can really tap into. No, thanks for that, TJ. So is this is this a little round table? Is that a good, you know, avenue, good way of doing it? Yes, for certainly. Audience, for the audience, I see some all of them nodding. <laughs> yeah. I think also some of the youth... Um, around the world now, even in yeah. our country, sometimes they're happy to also talk to other people mm-hmm. if they're really given the chance. A lot of the youth might have 
uh, they might have a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts about different issues, but mm-hmm. they feel like they are not given the voice or they're not given a platform where they can share their thoughts, even though some of their thoughts might not be fully um fully articulated or fully um uh explained well but i think it's really a start it's really us or it's our organizations giving that giving them that space it's really an important um work so would you be willing to facilitate facilitate these type of discussions with your peers and then share the findings with us and and if so should we pay you for that and and what what are your, some of your thoughts? Um, personally, I would be happy to help. Um, but also, I think apart from tapping us, um, individual student leaders, it might mm-hmm. also be a good opportunity to partner with, um, youth organizations or student organizations that already have the manpower, already have the structures in place. Mm-hmm. Um, already have the networks that um, they've tried to um, build in the past few years. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a good way of engaging with other youth, um, not necessarily part of the university or part of their immediate community, but even the youth um, around the country or around the world. Dwayne, I see you. I saw you nodding a lot. So. You know, you're you're jumping up and down. Go, go, speak. <laughs> I agree with TJ. Um, yeah. well, well, obviously we are here because we were recommended by a professor to be here. Mm. But I think one of the reasons why other people or maybe other youth are not yet as engaged as we are is because other people hasn't or haven't really showed their interest and their belief in the capabilities and the potential of these kinds of people. Maybe at least one person could talk to them and talk to them about um, the stuff that they are doing. That would make them interested in um, the greater stuff, the greater narratives that there needs to be confronted. I think for us to encourage the youth, um, we have to shift our perspectives and our line of questioning to engage them. More often than not, we are asked, what do you want to be in the future? And that's quite daunting, especially for the youth with the uncertainties that there is in this world right now. But I think a more immediate question that we should ask them that is more actionable is what do you want to solve? And from there, it is more concrete for us to move forward. Um, that's that's it for me, and I agree with TJ. Um, mm-hmm. while while we have our personal connections, I guess, um, it is also beneficial for the network to partner with other organizations. Say, for example, the Sangunian in the Ateneo or the Development Society of the Ateneo, because these people already have some sort of a mechanism to engage mm-hmm. with different sectors. Um, such and sectors uh, with different sectors and communities within and outside of the university mm-hmm. and it's already a practice for them it, maybe they just need more um support for them to sustain their operations on a yearly basis or for the next few years but i do agree that um 
this will be willing agents and capable agents. Nonetheless, personally, I am willing to do it also. <laughs> You're true. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Gabby? What I've actually observed for the last few years is that what really matters is how you tell the story. I think a lot of the youth are able to really connect to these things. When you're able to tell a compelling story, that they're able to find themselves in also. You know, it's easier to catch people um to really um join in these things when they're able to see parts of themselves in it. Like when they're able to see a, at least a tiny bit of them in that narrative that, oh, I understand why I have to take part. It's because I'm also part of it. I think that, you know, that's somehow the challenge for all of us. How do you create that narrative for people to understand that what happens to me also happens to you, that we aren't living in a bubble that what that are mutually exclusive to one another? And, you know, I think that's very interesting because, you know, what we're being asked now to do is to become better storytellers. And how do we tell them that, you know, it may be, it seems so daunting, but let me tell you my story. I'll tell you, and you tell me, and you tell me yours. And we'll see that, you know, our stories aren't so different after all. And together, let's create a story of how we can change the world. It may not be us, you know, rebranding everything, reimagining, but maybe we can create that small ripple and inspire others to do so. What's also something that we could think of is that a lot of us aren't just given the opportunity to speak out, like they must be Jane what Dwayne said, that a lot of us actually do have passions. It's just that we don't have opportunities, platforms, and that we don't that people aren't don't feel that people believe in them. That there are people who are just actually waiting for catalysts to give that spark that, yes, I believe in you, you do have the capacity to create change. That that change doesn't have to be so big, spectacular. It can be as so little as, you know, going outside and teaching English or like just helping out a friend. It can be as simple as that. But that matters because you, by you creating, um, doing your part in this whole chain, this whole cycle, you're able to spark others also to do, take up on the role. And I think that's, you know, what's very, in, that, that there's so much beauty in understanding that, that we as the youth, you know, you can under, um, you can connect these things. That whatever you do will somehow affect another person's life. And that's so and that's so beautiful imagining. And when we're able to tell that story, I think people will be more encouraged and empowered to take up their own role in changing stuff. Thank you, Gabi, for that. And it really resonates uh, with me what you just said in terms of. Uh, you know, storytelling and connecting, showing different perspectives. That's that's something that I try to do with with uh, the podcast, actually. So I would like to invite you to listen to a couple. I I, I don't only talk with, you know, more seasoned uh, leaders, but also with young leaders. Um, and and I hope I I contribute to you know, in strengthening connections and showing that. Um, you know, we have often more in common than, uh, you know, than differences and, and um, focusing on what we have in common, you know, can help to start dialogue and dialogue is important uh, to make this world um, better because we are often not very good listeners. We only 
sharing our opinion and not really listening to the others. Really, my last question is, should I have asked you something that I didn't? I mean, you know, you, you, I shared with you, you know, kind of the background and why we are doing this round table discussions first. And then as a result, we will use those answers to make a questionnaire um, and all that data um, hopefully will help us to strengthen our efforts to, you know, have a better connection with, with uh, the younger generation. Um, yeah, should I have asked you something that I didn't? I always like it when, you know, the, the conclusion is that I did my job well. <laughs> I also don't mind being criticized. I think I have one. Mm -hmm. I think I have one. Um, maybe it's interesting to ask also how we def how our generation differentiates ourselves from those from, from the ones came before us. Like you know, I think it's interesting how we see ourselves. Like how do we find how we understand our context and what kind of world we entered. Like where are we operating now? Um, what. Are, what what is the world that we're actually trying to change? So, you know, I think when you understand that context better, you come to see what is that narrative that we're trying to create as, the, well, Generation Z, yeah, yeah, Gen Z, and how yeah. we're actually operationizing things. So that's something interesting that could have been asked, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you see yourself? <laughs> okay that's funny okay <laughs> okay um i think for us it's one well our language is very different now we use social media we're very connected but also disconnected in that sense that you know it's easier to talk to people like this we're having this roundtable discussion even if we're in different time zones um but it's also disconnecting to an extent that you know the personal relationships that could have been formed if this were things that happened in person, like having to talk with people, like you know, understanding their body language, how they interact with others. But it's also, aside from the language, it's also the context, the issues that we're facing. You know, these things may not have been um, evident before. Like, um, let's say, for let's say, if you're in the Philippines, Soji. I mean, gender rights have been have been there for quite a time but here in the philippines it's more evident now actually that we're really trying to lobby for change for equality for people to recognize that everyone is equal so that's another thing that's very interesting also maybe lastly how we think i think um our generation's also kind of more um systems thinking to an extent that we're trying to be problem solvers already immediately that we want to take these things fast if you want to be able to to solve these problems with immediate um, solutions that sometimes we forget that, oh, you have to also um, look back, step back, and try to understand these things on a deeper level so you can actually really go to the root problem. Yeah, that's my answer to my question. Great, thank you. TJ, Dwayne, you have you would like to add anything or come up with a question that I should have asked? Yes, actually, Marie, something that um, I think important for us to ask is 
what are the barriers or what hinders, prevents, or stops the youth from participating in um in these activities and these organizations? Um, one answer that I can think of, especially coming from my own context here in the Philippines, is sometimes the socioeconomic divides um also contribute to that um to uh, it contributes to that kind of boundary because for example if you are dealing with a student or a working student sometimes they might have no time or they might say that oh i'd rather focus on getting um livelihood or focusing on my family focusing on my studies compared to me volunteering or being part of these organizations. And sometimes even if these um, youth feel strongly about these issues, it's more of the physiological needs, the immediate needs of their family that they need to prioritize. So I think that's also an important consideration. Um. At some point, you can also talk about their context. Sometimes, um, let's say, for example, a queer advocate or a queer uh, individual, a queer youth, um, might not be the most vocal in supporting gender equality because they are part of um, a family that's very conservative, that's very religious, and the conventional interpretation of of religion or of the teachings of the church are very against um being queer or being gay so those contexts those um considerations are really important because a lot of people might feel that they want to advocate for it but they really can't or there are those um elements factors that hinder them from participating hmm. Th thanks uh the way you have the last word or do you want uh, to have the last uh, for me morris um i agree with the inputs of Gabby and TJ. But um, aside from the questions that should have been or could have been asked during um, this um, roundtable discussion, mm -hmm. it would have also been helpful if um, the participants would have been more diverse in such a, mm -hmm. to an extent, because Gabby, TJ, and I more or less came from the same background, from mm -hmm. Ateneo, scholars of the Ateneo. But I think we can also elevate this platform as a way of connecting people from different backgrounds and diverse backgrounds to not just talk about their narrative, but also share about their experiences and maybe learn from one another. And from there, apply it to their communities, whatever they take, whatever their takeaway is from this conversation. Uh, that's just my input here, Morris. No, very, but nonetheless... very good, yeah, very good point. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I'm happy that, that I'm also talking with people from outside of the U.S., you know, mm -hmm. that, that gives already different perspectives. But you're right, you know, then within those particular contexts um, also have a, a more mixed bag. That, that is, you know, logistically also more more challenging because then, you know, you, you guys could you know each other already so you're not able to come up with a time that would work um 
So, but you're you're absolutely right. Um, so thank you for for those comments. The last thing is to thank you so much for for your willingness to talk with me. To wish you more than you know. Actually, you don't need luck. You you're, but uh, that you have uh, you know continue to enjoy what you're doing and uh, all the best. Thank so, you for this opportunity as well, Maurice. No, it was all my 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 pleasure. So th thank you so much, and uh, take care. And and maybe I will reach out to ask you to do some uh, some facilitate some discussions with other other people. So okay. Thank you, Maurice. This is a great conversation. Thank you, Maurice. You had a wonderful night, even if it's not it's not get too late. Actually, it's just still early for us. Okay. <laughs> Vidya, thank you. And we'd love to facilitate in the future if ever you need us. Great. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram <laughs>